and uh, <clears throat> I was in this particular church, which is quite um, quite large, and uh, each each service is I've got a camera crew, and the obviously the band hits off for the first fifty minutes. And I was sitting down the front, I think Hazel was with me, and uh, the pastor, the lead pastor, there are 59 pastors in that church, he's the lead pastor, and things kicked off, and of course, predictably, the young man who was supposed to be the worship leader read one of the psalms of praise, and then he through his Bible. Uh, you know, they have those amplifiers, those speaker units that come back to you. He threw it under one of those and the, the old pastor leant across to me and he said, Bernard, what do you think of that? And I said, well, you just think if there are Hindu visitors in this meeting. You just think if there are Muslim visitors in this meeting, is this what the Christians do with their holy book? And I said to the older pastor, uh, I said, well, have you spoken to him about it? Yes. Yes. But these musicians take no notice. That's, that's what he said to me. So I said, I'll try, he said, I'll try again before tomorrow morning's meeting. And exactly the same thing happened the next morning. And uh, both meetings, he did exactly the same. Just read the psalm and threw the Bible. It's remarkable, isn't it? Just one of the symptoms, I think, of the shift um, away from God's orderings that has been manifested in the in many many churches in in these last decades, particularly just one of the manifestations where there's disrespect for God and His His book and His ways, and I think that's one of the reasons why I want to go back into scripture and submit myself again to what the Lord has said and what he's put in place that doesn't alter with the centuries so that if we were to talk a little bit more about church history we would know that there were people, uh, the Waldensians in Italy and people like that um, more than a thousand years ago that as they came under the power of the Lord's word brought by the Spirit, they realized that the Church of Rome and the Pope and the the cardinals and all that stuff and the mass, the, the services being taken in Latin, they knew it was all wrong. 
and they resisted it in their day. And of course they were chased into the mountains of Italy um, and uh, the Alps and so on. And they suffered. And so it has been uh, through and probably earlier on you may have heard of in the second and third centuries when increasingly the power of the the bishops of the of the metropolitan cities they became very dominant incredibly dominant and gradually everything was ministered through these men and uh, there was the gifts of the spirit disappeared the spontaneity of ministry disappeared the the ministry of the spirit disappeared and and there was a group that you may have heard of called the montanists a man named montanus and there were certain lady prophets and they went a bit off the rails but originally they were resisting this kind of priestcraft. Um, they were seeking to come under the power of the Lord and what he's delivered in the scriptures to the church. And I suppose in our day, that's part of what I'm trying to do. I do not glory in, in any way appearing to criticise some of the practices because I do so with with great grief in my heart because I see some of the fruits of it and having travelled in many quarters um, seeing the fruits of what is being generated and and pushed out and I may have quoted to you that uh, how Billy Graham, in a book called Storm Warning, that he wrote in the early 90s, uh, where he's writing a book on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, worth getting. Um, and uh, he, he just writes in, in, a, in that way. And then he, he went through the book, uh, later on, 2008 or 2009, and it was reissued, and he added little things in there and adjusted things and brought it up to date as uh, the occurrences of things in the years of the 90s and into the 2000s. But in one of the pages, uh, my daughter-in-law um, pointed this out to me um, who's in Australia, and she said, look what he said. And Billy says, I look back, I see what's happening in the churches of today, and I look back, and I wonder, and I search my heart, whether I and my evangelistic ministry made it all too easy made it all too easy and that's quite a thing for what would he have been at that point a a man in his sort of late 80s that's quite a thing for him to say having all the 
ministry that he'd engaged in, but did I make it too easy? You know, believe in Jesus, just come to the front, um, you know, respond, and so on. As though it's dependent upon man. Which, of course, is where all the errors really have their source. That, it, that it's, it's down to you, it's down to me, it's down to what I do, it's down to me and the mission, it's down to me and my decision for Jesus. You know, I hear, you know, someone tonight in California in the sea, they're baptizing, I was talking to one of the leaders uh, yesterday during the day, and they're baptizing a young boy of 13. I know him. And uh, he's, he's a good lad. And uh, I, I talked to the leader. And the leader's saying to me, this is something that really cuts to my heart. Uh, baptizing him in the sea. It's a big thing for his mum. And... Uh, he said, because I was baptized when I was six. So the leader was baptized when he was six by immersion. Because the denomination that he was in practiced that. That he'd made a little commitment, you know, to Jesus, uh, you know, and said he wanted to be baptized. His friends were being baptized or had been baptized. And so he said, I was baptized. And, and I, uh, he said, what, what do you say to this, Bernard? <laughs> and that's quite a question, isn't it? You see. And I said, well, I've often had people come to me and ask to be baptized. You know, and you begin to talk to them and you, well, Oh yes, I, w- I was baptized when I was seventeen, um, but I, I, I want to be baptized now. I now understand what it means, and that sort of thing. And I would always say to these people, "Well, I would like you to go away for a week or two and just ask the Lord uh, and look back." and ask yourself the question, have I been baptized? Because the Spirit will witness in you whether what happened to you when you were 17, and this is what I said to my friend who'd been baptized when he was six, who's going to do this baptism this evening, um, where he's having to reconsider his own position. I said, Do you know, a boy of six doesn't have to understand all the implications of what's happening. But the issue, was it a transaction between you and the Lord Jesus Christ? And a six-year-old can understand that. And a 17-year-old can understand that. And that same Lord will witness to you So come back to me and tell me uh, next week or two weeks time whether 
whether you've been baptized and I've had people come back to me and say I've, I've, I've done it I've thought about it I've gone before the Lord about it and I know I've been baptized well you don't need to be baptized again do you? you, you you've been baptized it was a transaction it was real between you and the Lord and then some come back no I know it wasn't it was just following the crowd Oh, you'd never been baptized then. So, now you obey the Lord. Real transaction. Does that make sense? Um, you know, you just sort of realize these, you know, these ways that, uh, dear Billy Graham, and, you know, saying that, and I say, well, you know, there was something in Billy Graham's voice. I used to love to listen to that man knew God. That's the thing, you know. And it's in the voice. It's in the voice. It's not just in the words. And so, you, you, when you and I come to the New Testament, we have to ask ourselves the question, because these things are very far-reaching. The BBC News this evening, briefly, there's a church in in um, Exeter who's making up bags of food to go into the uni, you know, and and there's a spokesperson for the particular church, and predictably, do you know what sex that person was? And uh, you, you may understand that part of the complications of the church, and we will reach this in this little series. We will reach it in because Paul covers it in 1 Corinthians. He never talks about eldership in 1 Corinthians. It's not an issue for him. But he does talk about male-female. He does talk about God's order. And he talks about those things before he'll arrive at things about gifts and ministries. He'll talk. Because he knows if those things aren't right, and he was speaking in a society where those Corinthians were spending a lot of time with, uh, in an area they'd been in pagan worship where it was predominantly female prophetesses, and women and men operating in the psychic realm. And a lot of them would have been quite familiar with dynamic things happening. And yet they've been brought out of that. And, you know, you, if I can bring you to the scripture where he, in the sixth chapter, which we've commented on before, but it's good for us to come again to it, um, you know, he he says in the sixth chapter that uh, verse nine. Do you not know? Um, do you not know that the right unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. Don't, don't you know? You probably realize and may have noticed in your readings in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 9, do you not know? The old version says, know ye not? I think it comes seven times. Where he is challenging them on the fact that they had forgotten. And in their pride, they'd forgotten their beginnings. Do you not know? Do you not remember? This is what you were, some of you, and you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Remember where you've come from. Remember how God moved upon you. How God moved on you. Not how you chose him. Not how you said a sinner's prayer. But how God moved on you and what he did. And Paul isn't just um, saying words. He had been there. He had fathered them. Chapter 4. Slip over there. Um, verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have had 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I have begotten you. Amen. Amen. Um, tremendous I fathered you I saw you come I saw the word take effect in you I saw God get hold of you I saw God move on you I saw you changed I saw you delivered no one should have a guitar in their hand in church or be up on the platform and participating in the ministry of the church or of mission who does not know that God has moved on them. It's one of the things that's wrong and got wrong in the churches. Just because he's been through Bible college, what has God done in, in him? When did God move on him? What can he say about God not promoting the missionary society? You surely know 
that many missionary societies that were started in faith 60 years ago are now taken over by Christianized businessmen. That's what's happened. And I know missionaries who are leaving the missionary societies because they're expected to spend all their time filling in spreadsheets about how many people responded to this and responded to that and did this and how many said they'd take the magazines and how many said they'd, you know, begin to give money. And you think, oh God, where have we gone? Amazing. It's amazing. And I'm meeting people that if I ask them a question, I'm meeting people who play in the band or who do this or do that and they have no testimony of God moving on them. Paul said, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. We've even turned that upside down. Nowadays, you justification... And the word washing, let's get it out of the songs we sing. You know where Wesley would write about being washed and the old people in, who wrote would write about being washed, cleaned, purified, you see. And it's amazing, get rid of it. It's a bit embarrassing. Let's remove lines from songs about I feel my Saviour in my heart. And I want to tell you that for 50, nearly 54 years since I was 22-ish, I felt my Saviour in my heart. Now, I'm not talking about some flighty feeling. When God came to me, I didn't know it all in, you know, but you understand what I'm trying to say. And this is, this is when a soul meets God. I begot you, Paul says. I fathered you. And they'd have had to say, yeah, we know that, but we don't like you much, Paul. That's what some of them would have said. We got a bit fed up with you because your speech wasn't very, you know, uh, uh, Apollos came along and his speech was much more refined and he put it far more nicely and all the rest of it and your speech was rather rude, Paul. You know... Someone would have said, some of them would have said, but they'd have had to have confessed and said, yeah, Paul, you fathered us. You fathered us through the gospel. Some, somehow the word that came out of your mouth, Paul, had such weight from heaven that it pierced our defenses, reached into our hearts, showed us a kingdom that we instinctually deeply knew existed but had never been able to find with all our religions and all 
you understand at least these people were awake and they weren't just stuck in the mind at least they knew the spirit world existed at least they knew it's like going to India and spending time in India where you can have spiritual conversations with people because they know that devils exist and they know that there are false gods and they know this and they know that. You know, whereas here all we know is stuck in the intellect and so much of it you understand. Unless you go up on the moor. And then you'll find some people up there who who they know demons exist and they, they're, they're at work up there in their covens and so on and near at hand these things and remember that one day perhaps in some of our lifetimes there will be men of great power emerging and the power won't be from God there will be signs and there will be wonders and there'll be demonic things. I could tell you stories of being up all night. All night with people who were uh, just gotten out. It's funny, it comes back to my mind. I saw this, this name for the first time for years. Any of you ever heard of Sai Baba? One of the Indian gurus, a man of incredible power. And into our meetings in India, in South India, came a young man who just, God had been trying to draw him out. God had been coming to him and he came. And oh, the battle over that young man's soul. Sometimes up all night. And God set him free. But oh, this boy would go into a trance bang powers of darkness Sai Baba Sai Baba could materialize things and do all kinds of stuff and it wasn't just you know a magician's trick it was power that's why when Paul is writing to these Corinthians at the end of chapter 4 if you follow down in the fourth chapter he says this uh, verse 16 therefore I urge you imitate me for this reason I've sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere, in every church. Now, some of you are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know Not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, 
or in love and a spirit of gentleness. What do you want? I'm not coming to listen to your words. I shall be watching what power is working in you. There are three. There are three. Hmm. There's the power of God's Spirit. There's the power of the human soul, the natural man, the psychic. And there's the power of the devils. There are three. Power of God's Spirit. Power of the psychic, the human soul, is endowed with many powers. And there's the power of the demonic. I'll be coming not to listen to your words, but it's the power that's in you, you see. And the church has got to know this. You know, the church doesn't know about these things. The church of today, as it should know, Some of its ministers don't know. I will tell you a story now, if I may, from days long ago, before I had, I think I may have just met Hazel, I don't know. She was at the same college as I, the same Bible college. It was called Bible Training Institute. It was in Glasgow. It was started by... Dwight Moody and others, BTI, often changed from Bible Training Institute to Bridal Training Institute, because <laughs> so many of the students got married. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was such a godly man, the principal. Dear Scottish man, and uh, he knew the Lord. And one day there was a knock at my door, and a young student came in, a young man, and he said, I've been sent to you by the principal. I thought, oh, what's that all about? He said, I've gone to him to talk to him because I'm suffering incredible fear and trouble in my heart. And I went to him and talked to him and he said to me, I, I, I don't really know what's wrong with you, but you've been in India and I think it may be something to do with your life in India. He said, I don't know how to help, but if you go along to that young man, he knows something about these things. So I've come. The humility of that principle. And he came along and he talked to me, this young man, and I said to him, so what were you doing in India? And he said, I I was with Operation Mobilization. 
And I said, what were you doing? Handing out literature, tracts, busy for the Lord. And then something happened to me. And I said, when you were handing out your tracts and doing all your things, was there pride in your heart? Were you moving in humility and with the Lord Jesus? He said, I was proud. I was about, I was proud. And I said, did you go into temples? Oh, often. And he said, I remember one day marching into the, one of the temples where they worship the rats. And I, I took in trunk tracks. And he said, I walked in there full of pride. And I handed the tracks. And in their language, and then they cursed me as I walked out, and something happened to me, and I've been gripped with fear and trouble and depression ever since. Are you going to repent? Can I humble yourself, brother? And of course he said, oh yes. I realized I was so wrong. And there in the room, God delivered him of demons that had come upon his soul and gripped him and affected his mind all those months. And that man, you know, now he must be 70, I guess. He's been a preacher around the world. He's served the Lord in in the churches ever since. Hallelujah. You see, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's all to do with what power is working. And Paul says, I don't know where you've gone, you Corinthians. He knew they got up in pride. And pride makes you vulnerable, you see. You know, it makes you vulnerable to error. Makes you vulnerable in all kinds of ways. That's why he says to them, do you, do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come with meekness? You know, with, in love and a spirit of gentleness. You know, I go back into chapter 2 now because all of this is in the logic of, of the truth, you see. Before he can get further on, he's got to get these basic things. This is why he has to remind them. Verse 30 of chapter 1, before we get into 2. But of God you are in Christ Jesus. Of God, God, that's the Father. You're in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And you, I commented on this before, I want to do it again. Because of Him, He is the source 
of your life in Christ Jesus. The little preposition of is this is where all your life comes from. It comes from God. Don't try and be a missionary unless your vocation came from God. He is the source because it's no good going out. And this is why there's so many people burned out. Because he who gives you the vocation of him will give you the power to follow through on it. And fulfill it. If you walk humbly. Otherwise you'll be a nuisance. You'll be no better than those Pharisees and people who traversed the nations and made people. You remember what Jesus said about them? You know, proselytizing and you know, they weren't bringing people to God. And you understand that Jesus came to bring us to God, not to heaven. And he came to bring us to God, not to the right right belief system. He came to bring us to God, not to the right doctrines. He didn't bring us, he brought us to God. That's why Jesus came, not to bring us to religious, legalistic behavior patterns. Hallelujah. And uh, amen, and amen. That's what it's all about. To bring people to God. And you can only bring people to where you are. That's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. And this is why God had to deal so deeply with Paul, wasn't it? And, 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 and Peter, what these men went through in order to realize it comes from you, Lord. You're the source of our life, O oh God, in Christ Jesus, who is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You're the fountainhead of everything. Oh, Father, you're the fountainhead and you put us in Christ Jesus and through him comes wisdom for the day, strength for the day. You know, righteousness for the day sanctification for the day and you know that's how Paul brings them he's bringing them back there oh you know God's done a wonder hasn't he he's brought us into the kingdom of God away from the kingdoms of this world away from the wisdoms of this world the wisdom of God is folly to the kingdoms of this world what weakness crucifixion die you know the Lord still says to us each one you know some of us 
I had occasion to say this to someone this week. I said, what kingdom are you in? You're doing the devil's work for him, brother. You're looking at all the dark side of your life and the difficulties you've been going through and the things that haven't happened as you thought they ought to happen and you've been disappointed with yourself and you've been disappointed with the church and you've been... What kingdom are you living in, brother? You're living in the kingdom of the complainers. That's how I exactly put it. And you're doing the devil's work for him. He doesn't have to trouble you because you're troubling your own mind. You're in the kingdom of God. And I said to him, you got to die, brother. You're too full of yourself. I said it gently. (laughs) but but you, you see this is what it's all about in the Corinthians you see some of us do the devil's work for him we're forever circling round you know those sheep I did meet some shepherds in my time and you know apparently a sheep can be very stupid and uh, you know it gets it gets it, it circles a bush or something round and round and round and round and gradually it dig, digs itself a trench and it can't get out of it and that's what some people do so you're you're, you're in the kingdom of god you corinthians now get back in there. Now die. Stop your complaining. You know, and you know when Paul carries on into chapter two, he says, When I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. You know, declaring to you the testimony or the mystery of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness. You know, uh, this is tremendous. <sighs> We're forever trying to be strong. <laughs> you know, instead of understanding. You know, can you tell me the first beatitude? You know, the first blessed when Jesus opens his mouth in Matthew chapter 5, you know, he sat down and he opened his mouth and his first word is makarios, you know, blessed, blessed, oh the bliss. It's an ejaculation really. It's not a verb, it's oh the bliss of the first one. Poor in spirit. Not the poor sleeping out rough in uh, in Toronto or Exeter. 
you know, we used to live in Toronto, some of you know that, and we'd sometimes go downtown, and you probably don't know there's an underground uh, city underneath, which is kept heated in the winter, and it's, it's, uh, it's 20 below, up top, and you know, it's ventilated by grids, and in the pavements, on the sidewalks, and uh, heat would come up, and there's the down and outs, sleeping on top of the grids on cardboard to keep, and some of the Christians will go down and feed them. That's not the poor Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you and me, the ordinary man, the ordinary woman, you know, who's not arrogant and pride in spirit. They're not proud in spirit. I've got my PhD. I've got my this. I've got my that. Or I am, and so on and so on and so on. But the poor in spirit. Blessed. And here's Paul been brought to that state. You know he had his degrees, don't you? You know he'd studied under Gamaliel. You know that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews. You know that, don't you? And I counted it all as dung that I might win Christ. I became poor, poor in spirit. I was with you in weakness and in fear. And in much trembling. That's remarkable for an apostle to say. Isn't it good for you preachers to have collywobbles in your tummy then? Yes. Even though you've been at it for 55 years. To still feel, feel, fear and anxiety. And wondering, I did a midnight meeting last night uh, on the Zoom for people in various parts of the world. And I have to say, my wife goes to bed early and I sat there. Oh Lord, help me. Give me something for these broken hearted Americans and Give me something for these Mexicans and Canadians and Chinese and people, oh Lord. And you get on there on the computer, on the, you know, and all the, they all start logging in, the galleries open up, if those of you have done it, you know, and you click the thing and it goes to the next gallery of people and some of them you know and some you don't and, oh Lord. And you just open it, oh, you open it in fear. Dependency. You're poor in spirit. And Paul said, I was with you. Uh, hallelujah. And last week we touched on the word demonstration of the spirit. And then he says, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Who are coming to nothing. 
But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Ah, the wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, eh? Which none of, you know, uh, what was that story? Many of you know it. Amy Carmichael, Donovan. You know, when did she go there from Japan? 1903. Was it something like 1903? Things didn't work out for Amy in Japan. And she's on her ship going back and her ship berths at Madras. And uh, that's Chennai now, isn't it? Madras. And she feels a burden and she meets someone and she goes up country to Tiruala and she feels this burden. She hears about things that are happening with temple girls and you know she she just feels that God wants her there. Just there. She meets a minister named Walker. Anglican minister who's her friend and supports her and in the end they buy a a plot of land and they hardly know that 50, 60, 70 years earlier in that very place a certain man named Ragland who was one of the early missionaries had died there 42 years old. He'd buried three or four of his friends from Cambridge University who'd come out to help him. And they'd all died of malaria. And then in the end, Ragland is lying there on the charpoy, the string bed. And he's, he's dying. And his fellow missionary is, you know, trying to ease the fever from Ragland and there's a little Indian boy in the makeshift window and he sees these strange white men and he knows this one is dying and then he sees this man Ragland as he dies his face fills with light and he says one word Jesus passes away and the little Indian boy runs to find out, spends his life, who's this Jesus? What happened? And finds the Lord becomes an evangelist, becomes one of the key men with Walker of Tinevelli. You understand what I'm trying to say? And meets Amy much later on. And Amy had bought land right there where that seed had fallen into the ground and died. The weakness. This is the wisdom of God. The cross. The crucified life. Working out. It's not show. It's not stages. 
It's not charismatic preachers that with shiny teeth. Amen. It's not. It's, it's men who give their lives. You know, it's women who give their lives. The foolishness of the cross. That's the bedrock of church life. That's what I preached to you. It was the mystery of God. The mystery of God is God the Father is utterly self-given. And in His self-givenness is the Son. And the Son is actually totally self-given to the Father. And all this is by the Spirit. So the whole Godhead's life is a life of utter self-givenness. Each to the other. That is love. I can't do anything without you, Son. I do nothing except through you. Even the creation doesn't come into being except through you're the Word, and God said, and there was. You see, and this is, the church is the place where we begin to see that. To the Galatian Christians, chapter 3, Paul writes, and he says, Oh, you began in the Spirit, before whom Christ was set forth, crucified among you. How so? Christ was crucified hundred years, hundred miles away, hundreds of miles away from Galatia. They saw it in Paul and Paul's companions, Timothy and the others, whoever else was with him. They saw the uniqueness of, of the church. I, I knew a man, some of you knew him too, his name was Norman and do you know how people used to love to listen to Norman? Do you know what Norman's job was? He used to clean the floors in the death school that's been knocked down in Exeter, whatever it was called. You know, one of the famous stories of Norman, of course, is that the princess, no it wasn't, it was the queen mother came visiting and commented on the beautiful floors. And then she asked, who cleans them? And it was Norman. And Norman was, what should we say about Norman? He was not highly intelligent. He was somewhat the opposite. But the Lord had really come to him. Do you know where people love to listen to him? In places like Oxford University. <laughs> and they listen to this weak vessel. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, this is, this is the mystery of God's life being worked out in the saints. Can you handle the fact that God the Father, that God the Son is that that issues forth from God's self giving the Father unto the Son and the Son. This is the their eternal life. 
This is the mystery. Of God, of course this is a mystery to you university professors who, you know, revel in the politics of climbing higher. If you want to see all that stuff, you know, watch the odd morse, you know. Or what's the other fellow who followed Morse? I can't remember. Lewis, you know, set in Oxford University and all the intrigues between the professors and the this and the that. Oh, Lord, isn't it wonderful to be in your kingdom? I'm learning to live there, Lord. Are you learning to live there? Are you learning to, to accept the pathways of weakness and you know he says these things oh isn't it tremendous that he says they crucified the Lord of glory in verse 9 but as it is written I have not seen and nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him come on you tell me some of you uh, right now is it getting better and better is it you're nodding right good amen it, it is the things that he's given the things that he's giving the realities it begins here. Uh, what's that old song they used to sing about? Sweeter as the days go by. Sweeter as the days go by. I've forgotten how it goes now, but something. Jesus' love is sweeter. Yeah. Sweeter as the days go by. See, that's, that's it. That's it. That's the opposite of disappointment and cynicism and misery and all the rest of it. It's the opposite of living a life of pride. It's the opposite of saying, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this, I'm of that, I've got my speciality. Paul is talking about what God has prepared for us and we can begin to live in the kingdom. Sometimes I think to myself, you know, can't become as a little child, brother, sister, and they all enter. And stay childlike in your heart and you'll keep moving in the chambers of this wonderful kingdom. Amen. And then Paul says this, verse 10, God has revealed them, these things that are given unto us. God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. And I commented last week, didn't I? Let me remind you. We've seen God, that's the Father, and he's doing everything through the Son. Now he's going to begin for the first time to mention spirit. God has revealed these things to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of God 
You know, I, I read that and my heart races to think about the the activity of the Spirit and the freshness. One of the things that I will get onto um, later on in this series, if God gives us opportunity, and we can continue, is about this whole wonder of a day-by-day freshness. The freshness begins in God and God's Spirit. He's searching the deep things of God. It's almost as though everything is new to the Spirit. Everything is fresh. There is a river that flows from God above. Amen. Amen. It's ever fresh. It's ever new. And the river flowed through the city down the main street. That's what a real church should be like. Not all premeditated The real life of God is spontaneous. It's all new. Their love is all new. The outpourings are all new. Amen. Every day is new. Tomorrow, what is it? Michael Bublé. It's a new day. If you're not not interested in Michael Bublé, it doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, that's got nothing to do with the gospel, by the way. But... um, why not sing? You know, the devil has got all the best songs. Is that what someone said? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> you know, but it's it's new. Tomorrow's a new day. And the Spirit is searching. That's why there's freshness in the lives of the real ministers. And there's freshness in the ministry. And it's though you never heard it before. But deep in your hearts right now, you just know this man sitting here, yeah, I agree with him. I don't necessarily like the way he says it and this, that and the other, but that's not the point. It resonates because you're of the same spirit. And part of my responsibility is to bring out to the surface and put into words what you know is true in your own. You should be enjoying life at 75 years old or 65 years old or 55 or 45 or whatever it is, more than you did 10 years ago. No matter what losses you have suffered or difficulties you've having to endure. Hallelujah. Because God is ever new. God is ever spontaneous. And a church is not getting into the real dimensions of Christian edification in its meetings unless it is drinking of the waters that are new every day. And the ministers have the mark of spontaneity about them even if they have thought about their message as I have done thinking about tonight. But I'm not Governed by my premeditations. I will let it go in the spontaneity. 
Of course we learn to do these things. I will talk a bit about true preaching before this series ended. And no one can come into true preaching unless they know the spontaneity of the Spirit. Unless they know the prophetic release. You know, this is what it's all about. And this is what's so wonderful in a vital, a a meeting that's full of vitality. You know where God is moving heart to heart. And someone who's in there, Paul will talk this about this in chapter 14. He says that an unbeliever comes in and there's prophetic utterance coming through and the secrets of this unbeliever's heart are opened up or it may be a believer and, and the heart is spoken to from the heart of God and, and the person responds heart to heart and it's wonderful in meetings how often someone in a meeting has been touched by a song or touched by a prayer or touched by God through some prophetic utterance or tongue or interpretation or something and they open their heart and they cry out to God from their heart and straight away In my heart, a prophetic utterance that has often been so full of discernment and light comes from God right to their condition and their condition of heart is answered. Conversation between God and man and God and woman. Amen. You see, this is what it's all about. The Spirit is searching the deep things of God. Can you not sense from Paul's uses, usage of that word that he, he senses this run, this wonderful newness that the Spirit is. Oh, what's going on? What's happening? What's, what's, what's going on for today, Lord? Because we think, oh, he knows everything from the beginning. No, yeah, I mean, God's sitting up there by the, by the profound heavenly chessboard and he's moving pawn to king, whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's not like that at all. Amen. Amen. The Spirit searches. We, He's revealing them to us. What's he wanting to reveal to you? You say, we don't reveal anything to me. I'm a nobody. But yes, just about your qualification. (laughs) You know? Isn't it? When we're nobodies, we're in in the weakness. You know, I, I think I was... Anyway, I'm just thinking of a man. He was on the screen last night, one in that gallery of all these things. And I just looked at him and I just wanted to go over there and say to him, you know, brother, you're 65 years old. You've been on the mission field. And you're so frustrated where you are now. And you wonder what God's doing with you. And you're arguing with God and uh, you know I, I, I could almost say I can read you like a book brother but I wanted to say to him I want to go over and hug him you know God's got some fresh things for you while you're here 
if you'll just turn your heart over to him and quit your grumbling he's got the spirit right now searching out what's what's new for put in your name I mean it I mean it what's what's new for now put in your name spirit searching to reveal what what wonder of your nature oh father are you going to reveal to her next to fill them up with God more and more as an antidote to all what the world's being filled with right now unprecedented it's all unprecedented isn't it well I tell you what God wants to show to you is unprecedented I mean it you know it's, it's wonderful this is, the, this is where Paul's at and can you see the contrast that these Corinthians are sort of scratching around like a bunch of old hens you know down in the dirt picking up little bits and pieces whereas that which God wants to come from heaven but first you've got to say thank you Thank you for my circumstances, Lord. Thank you for this unprecedented time we're in. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? That's why it comes back to what I said about baptism, isn't it? You know in your spirit. Have you been baptized? You know in your spirit. Are you clean? You know in your spirit. Do you know God? You know in your spirit. Oh, you're aware in your spirit too of your failings, your fallibilities, more and more so in the light of God, but you don't wallow in them. What, what things, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Isn't that wonderful? I guess I'd better learn to live in close communion with the Spirit. You will read, if you're interested, some of the books of contemplation. Now late last night, 2.30 in the morning, I was laying there in bed with my Kindle. And I was reading some of the poetry. I'd finished the meeting on the Zoom about 2.15. And uh, it's hard to, to get to sleep when you're kind of... Uh, preachers get their adrenaline moving and stuff, you realize. And uh, I'm laying there 
And I'm reading St. John of the Cross, some of his poetry. And I'm reading one, you know, it's in Spanish and then in English, not that I can read the Spanish. And then he, he's writing all about the lovely Godhead, about love, about God being love. You know, and he's writing about the Spirit. He's one of the few contemplatives who writes about the Spirit. He knows the Spirit. The Spirit's been revealing to him. He's the man who wrote about the dark night of the soul. If you know anything about him. You know, but some of them, they really knew the communion of the Spirit. I knew. I don't know if they've ever heard of Pope Innocent III. Ever heard of him? Do you know, I think he was Pope, or was it the second? And he was a very miserable, pessimistic Pope. And do you know what changed him? Because everything was measured by him. He was a good Pope, but he was so negative, so pessimistic, so religious, and so on. But in his papal reign, there was a certain man named Francis of Assisi, who married sister poverty, or was it mother poverty? Chastity, poverty, humility. And he went to see, this young man went to see Pope Innocent to get, get permission. You know, and this Francis, he'd met God. And he was poor. And uh, he was rich in God and his face apparently used to shine. And he sat there in his strange robe in front or knelt there before Pope Innocent. And Pope Innocent was changed because for the first time he saw God in a man. Isn't it remarkable? A man who knew the Spirit and was poor enough to let uh, to live a life dependent on God that's where we've got to come that kind of dependence you know where ah it's always it always strikes me at christmas every christmas it's the same one of the things and there was no room for him there was no room for him Do you remember? There was no room for him. And sometimes, you know, oh Lord, help me to give you more room. Your spirit more room. You know, no one knows these things except the Spirit of God. Now we've received... Verse 12, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know. Church, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us of God. How tuned we are to earning, aren't we? What what do we pay? You know, 
freely given to us of God. That word freely is a hang up for some of us. There must be a charge. What? Freely given to us of God. There are gifts. There is grace. There are miracles. Give me room. There was no room for him. You know, on one of those Zooms that I did, they were talking before I spoke about, you know, the people were talking to one another and different ones. It's a bit complicated, really, because who's talking half the time you can't see and it's all going back and forth. And talking about, well, I've, I've begun to stock up with pasta. Um, and I'm getting a lot of rice in and we've got room to store, you know, because and this, that and the other. And then they say to me, well, what would, what, what do you think about all this, Bernard? Do you think we should stock up just in case, you know, the presidential elections that, you know, there may be this and that happen? And I said, well, well, if you feel you want to stock up your basements, you know, especially you ladies who make your lovely beets, pickled beets and pickled cucumbers and all this. I do as much as you can. Pickle everything. I said, but if there's shortages of toilet rolls and all the other stuff, you know, and food, you know, you're just going to keep it for yourself? What about your unsaved neighbours? You're going to be hogging all your pickled beets, you know, and all your pasta and all the rest of it, or will you share it? I said, well, if you want to do it, save it. But then, in the end, we'll all come to an end, and that will give God the room to do a miracle or two. That's the thing. The things that are freely given to us of God. Amen. How many of you have had uh, more than a handful of miracles that just at the right time this has come and that has happened and that has occurred and click, 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 click. And it's not coincidence. It is the divine hand. Give him room. Trust. The things that are freely, and we're not giving, we're not even talking about the things that are of the Spirit, that the things that are going to come our way. The Spirit we've received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know. I reckon. A lot of our ministry is simply reminding that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things, verse 13, we also speak. Paul's talking and his friends. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Amen. I reckon I've got to be taught by the Spirit how to say it. I may have it being revealed to me, 
But I've also got to be educated by the same Spirit as to how to say it. You understand? That's what Paul is saying. We speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. This is one of the beefs that I have with the college that I went to. You know, I learned this and I learned that, systematic theology, biblical theology. I learned this and that and the other and so on. And I tell you, I mentioned, it's funny, I mentioned that little man who was the principal who hogged the first lecture for the day, which was to all the faculty, 140 students, and it was supposed to be New Testament. And he was hopeless as far as the educators were concerned but he exuded devotion. The memory I have of him as he took the Gospels was Jesus, 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 Jesus larger, Jesus greater, Jesus greater. That's my memory. And then I would go to my systematics and I won't mention the lecturer's name but it was so different. You see, we need to teach <laughs> in a way that we've been taught. Oh Spirit of the Lord, help me. I like to read about some of these preachers gone by, you know, reports of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. His sermons taken down in a kind of shorthand, published that night and sent round the world next day. In small, in small things and there's records in Australia of them arriving in the outback somewhere and some guy you know you know camped by a billabong you know you know just captured a jumbuck you know and all the rest of it if you know the song <laughs> you know and he finds one of Spurgeon's sermons and he reads it and this old heathen is saved by reading and Spurgeon when he preached he'd have a little little outline of what he wanted to say and he'd deviate from it and sometimes he'd had a he'd have a word of knowledge and interject with something right specific for someone here this is for you and then he'd move back and he'd move around like this ministering taught by the spirit Wonderful. You see, it's not just the Spirit shows us, but we teach by that how the Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual 
comparing the spiritual with the spiritual. There are things that are more value, aren't there, spiritually? You know, than those things that are spiritual as well. We learn to distinguish where the accents should be laid. And the time when the accent should be put there. This is what the Spirit teaches. What are you, Bernard? Are you a Calvinist? One week you sound like a Calvinist. Next week you sound like an Arminian. Yeah, all I'm doing is going through the Bible. I'm letting the Spirit work. Because there are times when human responsibility, that great Calvinist preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you know, that that means that he believed that God sovereignly chooses. And he wrote a chapter in his autobiography, Why I Am a Calvinist. And one of the things that made me roll around the floor laughing when I read it, and uh, still makes me smile when I think about it, he said, one of the reasons, he says, until they prove otherwise, I assume that everyone in the congregation is one of God's sheep that he's calling and he's chosen. So, I'm glad. And he would preach. And that's why at the end of every message that he ever preached, he'd always make an appeal that they respond. God is calling you. He's your shepherd. He's chosen you. Are you going to rebel and prove him wrong? (laughs) You know, he turned it all on his head. That's the thing. I I, I love it. You know, I love these things and hope you do. I hope I give you a little bit of an appetite. But you you realize how the Spirit wants to accent. He wants to emphasize human responsibility, human responsibility, human responsibility. And there are times when all you need to hear is the spiritual truth. He loves you. He loves you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you. That's all you need to hear. Spiritual things with spiritual. Of both the spiritual, both the necessity of human response and the wonder that he's chosen you. Are you am I making sense? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, I'm going to have to stop, I know it's quarter to nine. But the natural man does not receive. I want to take a whole evening to talk a bit about the three men that I mentioned here. There's the psychic man. 
He's there in verse 14. The natural man. Who was the first natural man? Not a trick question. The natural man, because the word is sukikos man, from which we get our word soul, and Adam became a living soul. He's the first natural man. What we call the gifts of the spirit are entire, were entirely natural to the natural man in his unfallen state. They have to be given to us through Jesus Christ now, because the natural man fell. And everything in him fell. And these abilities that he possessed fell with him. Am I making sense? And that's why, and this is one of the areas in the churches where, where there is much confusion, where you have the psychic manifesting and masquerading as the spiritual. And what's coming is the power of the soul. The psychic coming. And I want to take a whole evening to talk about these things because you have this spiritual man, the pneumaticos man. Here he is. Where it talks about the spiritual man. Verse 1 of chapter 3. I could not speak to you as to pneumaticos men, men and women of the spirit. Men and women of the spirit, I couldn't talk to you. But as to carnal men, sarkikos men in the Greek, Men of the flesh. Men dominated by the flesh. Women dominated by the flesh. By outward things. By outward things. By outward things. By outward things. By status. By money. By degrees. By charisma. By, you know, dominated. A sarkikos man. Dominated by the flesh. Serious, isn't it? I couldn't talk to you. You're you're still babies. Don't understand. That's what he says. You're not spiritual as you men under the sway of the spirit. The natural man, the sukikos, the man of the soul. I could tell you stories now. I'll stop. But here we are. I hope that somehow we are we're drinking of that which is good for us and receiving something that is, you know, the church is the domain of God. It's the domain of His Spirit. And, uh, hallelujah. Well, enough from me. Amen, Lord. Amen, Lord.
It is good for us to be here, Lord. Very good. And we thank you. Thankful. Very thankful. Thank you that our our inner hearts resonate. Lord, in some ways we're silenced inwardly. In some ways we are excited and quickened inwardly. In other ways we are we are exercised and stirred. We are in other ways some of us are mentally stimulated as we should be. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you know us all and and you know those two who will listen to these messages perhaps a year or two or a month or two down the track or perhaps re-listen. And thank you, Father, that you want to serve us all. Isn't that amazing? You bring us into your house, Lord, and you, you, you take a bowl and a towel, and you serve us. And you send us a teacher who will serve us knowledge, Lord, from your heart. You send us the Spirit. What a servant he is. What a servant. And as we live in the Spirit, we, we learn to serve one another in all kinds of ways. Hallelujah. And serve our neighbor in love. Not serve them up bitter remarks and arguments and nasty things and get involved in all sorts of horrible neighborhood brawls that we serve them Lord from your heart as much as they allow us thank you Father thank you for the kingdom you brought us into Lord thank you that your church is supposed to be a microcosm of your kingdom in a locality each church a microcosm Not an exclusive bunch, Lord, but a microcosm. Lord, help us. Help us to understand, Lord. Oh, Father, it's so wonderful to talk of you. It's so wonderful to to talk of your self-giving. So wonderful. Lord, it's so wonderful to talk about the ministry of your Son, Father. Lord of the cross, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gathered us into yourself. You gathered us into yourself and you took us to Calvary. And when we, when we come to you and really love you and walk with you, you, you work that out in us by the Spirit so that you, you constantly bring us to that crucified life. 
And yet we live. And yet we live. That's how it is, Lord. Praise you. Praise you. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you, dear Father. Oh, thank you for your book, Lord, you've given us. And thank you for the many ministers, some of whom we've spoken of tonight by name, that have gone before. Thank you, Lord, we're not new kids on the block who, who come, but we just follow in the train of many multitudes without number. Thank you. Oh, dear Father, if there's any of us, Lord, in the room <clears throat> that have been kind of living in the, in, the, in the confines of the kingdom of our own mind and miseries and self-recriminations and, oh, Father, continue to minister to us until we just come right out of all that into your kingdom and the kingdom of trust trusting you trusting you relying on you believing what you're telling us Lord we want to come into that childlike simplicity Lord that opens the door to a realm that your spirit is ever searching and wants to reveal to us Oh, Father, Father, you're lovely, Lord, and we praise you.